The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. All right, today's scripture reading comes from Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that a member, or that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, and the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. These are the words of our Lord. Um, as we go into our text, um, we've been set up pretty well over the last couple weeks. And as we think about what we are preaching about in our topic or the sermon series, A People in Waiting, it makes perfect sense when we think about the Advent season. Because Luke doesn't start in a moment in which it's detached from Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, says that Abraham, who will have a promise given to him, which is a covenant, would actually do what? Have descendants of all families of the earth. Particularly convicted about that, we as a church ought to think about every time we come together. Because God did not come for a particular ethnicity or nation and left it there. He went outside of the nation that he desired in order to call all families to the earth. And what does that mean? Because the story begins like that, but the story also ends that way. That every tribe, nation, and tongue ought to come together. So the Advent season does something far beyond what we can actually think or imagine. A people, Artez brought up the fact that the covenant made with Abraham was the same similar narrative of a barren woman. And here you have Elizabeth, a barren woman, who is also in a similar circumstance as Abraham and Sarah. So what does the writer, why are the writers trying to hearken back to a story or a narrative to help us see something? It's the promise that Jesus is coming. But the promise did not end on the cross, beloved. And, and that is why the Advent season calls us to rejoice. I know, kids, y'all are eager to open up some gifts. Eat your, eat your cookies and the eggnog, and I, I, I understand. Family, you're out there shopping. I was at Sephora last night. I ran into a brother in Sephora myself at the church. But the idea is that we do not become overwhelmed 
with the materialistic aspects of what culture says this season is. But we become deeply overwhelmed by the power, the presence, and the coming of Jesus Christ. Because when he comes, beloved, he's not coming just for some of y'all. He's not coming just in order to make amends. But he's actually coming to restore all things. Everybody say all. Everybody say all. He's come to restore all things. Therefore, when we get to our text, we ought to zoom out just a little bit from our narrative and understand that what we see between the interaction of Mary and Elizabeth actually points us to a greater understanding of what we ought to attach ourselves to, obviously looking at the work of God and how the promise of God are met in that. Let me pray as uh, we get into our text. Father, thank you. Because you help us every single time to allow your word to illuminate our minds and our hearts so that we may be transformed, not by some renewal outside of the work of the Spirit, by the renewing of your Spirit. You do the work in our hearts, Lord. I pray in this moment that you hide me beneath your cross and that I no longer speak with my own mind and my own voice, but I speak with you influencing, empowering every aspect of my mind and my voice. A lot of words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. All God's people say together. Never before has mankind ever, thank you so much, never before has mankind ever, ever retrieved any living person from this death. This is actually what one reporter proclaimed to the world as they were watching the 33 Chilean miners be rescued from over 200, um, over uh, 2,300 feet in the ground. The probability was 1% of the fact that they would come out alive. And so for them, they were stuck in this dark cave for 69 days, and the entire world was watching. And as they were watching, many had doubts, and many did not understand, but there were several calling on a name. And it wasn't calling on the mother's name, or calling on their cousin's name, or calling on what It was a name that was above every single name, and that was the name of Jesus. And when they called on his name, it was men from behind the scenes stories that were actually coming to know the coming to know the Lord because of the evangelistic uh, nature of one of the miners telling people that there is a God that can help rescue us out of this. And God used the, the ingenuity of mankind in order to come up with a contraption to pull these miners out of this deep, dark cave. Beloved, I use this illustration because it reminds many of us, and it should remind many of us, even if you go back and watch the YouTube video, that, that we too were once in a deep, dark cave. And being in the abyss of sin and in the deep recesses of our hearts, not knowing who God is, we were pulled into the depths of death and destruction. But God came not so that he can come through a man-made contraption. Uh, he didn't come so that he can actually make glory of the fact of what man has done. 
He, he didn't come knowing that this would not work. He came with a plan, beloved. From the birth until his last breath on earth, his plan was to die. To die because the only way to get you out of the cave, the only way to get you from the deep recesses of death and destruction was that he had to give his life. Uh, I can tell this story over and over again and not be tired because not only do I believe it from a knowledge standpoint, but I've experienced it. Beloved, I, I think that that is what's very important to understanding what it means to walk with God who came in, wrapped himself in human flesh without giving up his divinity. It, it blows our minds, and sometimes people in the world think we're crazy for gathering for such a matter. They think we're crazy for believing in a God we have never seen. They think we are crazy for trusting in him to work on our behalf, to do things for us, to actually care for us. They think we are crazy. I know living in America, sometimes we may feel as if hey, this is the norm. It's not the norm. Time and time again, people are deceived into other mythological thinkings that actually tell them that there is something greater either within their ethnicity, in their own mind, in their own ingenuity that is outside of the power and the presence of God. But beloved, one needs to divorce himself from the mindset that God is no longer working. His work did not end on the cross, but it only continued, in fact, magnified the power in which he can reach all nations. He demonstrates this, and this is the main point, the fact that God is actively working around us. Many of you who are saying, how can God be actively working when my parents are going through a divorce? How can God be actively working when my child has this severe disability? How can God be actively working when I know you're telling me a story about a woman being barren, but I have not been able to conceive a child for several years. How can God be working when you took my loved one away from me? How could God be working with all of the suffering that we see around the world? Kids being killed in wars that are actually dictated by people that are evil. How can God be working in a society, in a world as such? Is he asleep? Is he, is he, is he no longer hearing us? Beloved, the point this morning is God is at work. He's always been at work. That's why I started in Genesis. He created a world. He created you in his image and his likeness, giving you inherent dignity, worth, and value. I tell my children, I tell anyone, a, a sister came and sat next to me, and she was discouraged when I was at a lunch one time, and she was so discouraged. I said, sister, nobody can take your dignity, your worth, and your value from you. God is giving you that. And beloved, when we understand that every difficult situation in our life causes us to walk by faith, understanding the fact that God is at work, 
Therefore, we must believe in his promises. God is at work. Therefore, we must believe in his promises. Oftentimes, I come to the text and I'm like, Lord, give me a main point, that a big idea that's just going to blow their minds away. But I keep saying the same thing. Why? Because the story hadn't changed. The book is the same. And the reality is, beloved, is we, as we continue to believe in the work of God, in the person of God, in the presence of God, what we understand is that I, I'm not saying that we ought to believe in the church. There's a lot of research going around that pe people are walking away from the church, but they're not walking away from Jesus. But the reality is, beloved, I, I don't want you... If you're here this morning and you're just kind of popping in or you're struggling and you're on the fence of your faith, I don't want you to believe in this body. There's no power in believing in the body without the one who makes us who we are. I want us to believe in Jesus. God has been working on my heart and my mind, even as we've been going through John, about the power of belief. If we believe, beloved, if we trust, I, I walked through the bookstore the other day, and, and you know what? I looked at the self-help section. Every book out there telling you how to live your life, walk through anxiety, deal and overcome stress, how to dare to lead, how to do this and how to do that. And, and I think we need the wisdom from those things. But, beloved, if God is not in the midst of what is actually happening, what happens is we fall into a bunch of wisdom that may lead us into foolishness or lead us away from God. And that is why it's important that even though in our society some of us turn on YouTube and we listen to podcasts and we listen to those that are on social media and everything else, and what happens is we're saturated with what they got to say. I had to say it like that. What they got to say. But I'm telling you, beloved, if you believe in the sufficiency of God's Word, in the power of His Word, and you trust in it, stand firmly in it, saturate your mind, saturate your heart, and every part of your being in His Word, there will be nothing that will cause you to waver or be tossed to and fro. But I can tell you right now, if you believe in downtown church, you're going to be tossed to and fro. Don't believe in the church. Believe in the one that has made us a body. So, understanding that, I just have two points this morning because I know I can go long at times. And my two points are, we ought to know, if we are to know that God is still at work, right? The indicative is always what we ought to understand. And the imperative is telling us what we ought to do. The indicative is who we are. In Christ, the imperative is how we live it out. We live it out trusting and believing his promises, but we also live it out with discerning God's promises and declaring his promises. I've talked to you about discerning before. That oftentimes, theologically, people will say you discern through general revelation and special revelation. That creation, God's providence, and other aspects of the world, you, you, do, you, you are able to discern. But when you look at what Elizabeth tells us in this story, in this narrative, it was interesting because when Mary, as, remember, when we're reading the Bible, 
There are literary functions in order and what the writer is trying to get across. They're actually writing with a purpose. So when you look at verse 39 and it says, in those days, that's actually insinuating something. That Mary traveled three, three to four days after she's heard what, the, what Ga- the angel Gabriel said because she had to go see for herself what the prophecy was about. And the Bible says she arose and went with haste. Therefore, we can understand that she may have traveled a very dangerous road by herself as a pregnant woman, which was very courageous, or she may have gone along the caravan of others just to get to where Elizabeth was. But when she walked through the house, it wasn't like Thanksgiving. Y'all seen all those Instagram videos of uh, some folks walking through the house singing and dancing and stuff like that during the holidays because they're coming to meet family. She didn't walk through the house that way. In fact, the way that she walked through the house, uh, she was greeted. But Elizabeth, in my mind, uh, maybe she was turned around. I don't. But she felt the leaping of the child in her womb that actually notified her that Mary was there. And when she felt that leaping in the womb, she was able to discern more than Mary was there that the Savior was present. The power in terms of discernment in this moment not only comes from this mystic or mysterious, charismatic kind of thing. It actually comes from the fact that when you read the text, it said that Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful to God. So she knew her word. And if I were to use my imagination biblically, when when Israelites, when they were taught and discipled in the word, it wasn't like we are today when we go to Sunday school or we have one-on-one coffees. It was just in the inner workings of life in which they discipled their children, telling them the stories of their ancestors and the story of the one to come. And so, just think about all of the information, all of the stories, all of what she's continued to read read from the first five books of what we have as the Bible was the Torah for them. She would read those and understand that someone was coming to bring redemption. Someone was coming to bring restoration. Someone was coming to rescue us. And he's in the womb. And to understand and discern that, it meant that she had to know her word. Beloved, I I, I know that sometimes it's hard to read God's word. Some of y'all get to Leviticus and and you feel like, I'm going to just go ahead and go to Mark. Some some of y'all 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 get to first or second Chronicles and, and you say that this this genealogy ain't got nothing to do with me. But I want you to pay attention to once again the way that it's written. He does work in chapter one to let us know who they are. Chapter one, verse five, he says that Zachariah is a priest from a certain division. And understanding that he can track then the lineage and understand where that is, where it comes from. Who is attached to same thing when it came to Joseph. Who is, gene, who is generation, his genealogy, genealogy is attached to the house of David. It's important to understand that. Why? Because 
then you know intentionally God has a purpose and God is intentional with his promises. Because you can read some things and you can look at YouTube on some things and they will distract you telling you otherwise, trying to insinuate that God did not exist, nor was the plan actually intentional. So then why is discernment important? Because when we go through the bookstore, and we pick out that favorite book, and we begin to read. And so many people that I've known over the last few years have been changed by the movement of justice in their theology and the way they understand God that they've walked away from him. Some of us have listened to so many different people deconstructing their faith. If you don't have discernment, you're going to walk away from God sometimes. So, so, Discernment is a gift from God. It's God's wisdom and divine illumination. And, and see, many of us have to understand that there were people that have lived long time ago that still held on to the faith. And I like Thomas Oden, who has classical Christianity, and he goes and he finds all of these old, some church fathers and others, old Christians who have lived in ancient times. And this Byzantine priest had said, discernment is and is, discernment is and is recognized as the certain understanding of the divine will on all occasions, all occasions, and in every place, and in all matters, and it is only found in those who are pure in heart and in body and in mouth. Therefore, discernment is the ability to properly discriminate and make determinations. When you think about discernment, it's not only the person doing it, but it's also the Word of God doing it to, to the person. Uh, so, so when you, sometimes it's hard to read God's word from some of us because of what it's going to cause us to discern in us. See, Psalm 139, 1 through 4 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. So, uh, Hebrews 4, 12. It, it tells us that the word of God itself actually discerns us because what it says to our hearts and our intentions of one heart. So what should our prayer be a lot of times? God, help me. Allow this word to search me. In the ways that I am not living, that you have called me to, to, call me to, lay, what, to live, in the ways that I'm struggling, God, search me. As I read, illuminate my mind to understand the person and the work of God. Help me to know that this is not knowledge that is just trying to build me up, but this is actually knowledge that is trying to change the trajectory of my life and help me to see that eternal life is at grasp. Therefore, when you look at even from the aspect of what now, discernment does. Look at King Solomon. What was the first thing that King Solomon was given? An opportunity to discern whether between two women, whose baby it actually is. It wasn't a Maury show. 
Like he didn't he didn't have DNA test. Right? He 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 didn't say bring out the <laughs> it wasn't that. But he used a level of discernment. Why? Because if you remember, one of the first thing, three things that he prayed for was wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, which is discernment. As a king, when we're leading our homes and our families, when we're walking through hard and difficult situations, we ought to know when we walk into those situations, we need to walk in them asking God, give me wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You know when you're walking down the street, you won't walk down a dark alley by yourself. You immediately discern because of the presence of darkness causes you some level of fear to alert yourself. The senses or there is something in that, in that amygdala that causes you to go back to some traumatic situation that actually causes you to say, that's not somewhere to go. But sometimes it's not that clear when it comes to discerning. The person that you're marrying <laughs> the, the job that you're taking, the college that you're trying to go to, the, 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 actually, the actual decision whether to buy a home or not, or where to go in life, whether you should make a transition from certain situations. There is so much that we can be discerning. There are so many different things that are not clear. But remember, I, I want to go back to the believing aspect. Some of you who are struggling in your, in your walk with Jesus, it is hard to discern in moments when you are struggling to know whether God is real, whether he has been in my life and somebody that I can continue to trust. Why, do I have, why does my journey have to be this journey? It's hard to discern those things, and I'm not going to act like I got the answers. What I want to tell you is if you hold on to God's unchanging hand, you may be able to see things that nobody else is able to see. Somebody in your life may be able to point them out to you. But if you trust in his promises, one thing I can guarantee, God will reveal himself. But it's the idea of you discerning how God is revealing himself to you. Some people have been able to discern the spirit and the presence of God in the crack house. And I've been around those folks. Some people have been able to discern it in the boardroom. Some been able to discern it when they got married. Some been able to discern it when their first child was born. But God's promises are real and true. As long as you hold on to him, beloved, I guarantee he will show himself. But not only discernment is important in terms of understanding the, presence, the promises of God and believing him, declaring them. Remember, Elizabeth, Mary walks in, Elizabeth greets her, feels the leap in her, in her belly, and what does she then say in a loud cry after being filled with, the Bible says she was filled with the Spirit. Pentecostal folks like, yes, I it's not, it's not that kind of situation. But it said with a loud cry, she said, blessed are you, are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's incredible. 
It's incredible primarily because what Elizabeth does in her declaration, whether it's inspired utterance, whether it's just a joyful praise, she makes a public proclamation. And beloved, when we understand the power in making a public proclamation, what she is saying is the Davidic king is here. And he is, he's promised and there is someone in me that's going to actually go before and make sure everybody knows that promise. Now, this is where I like the writing because when the writing points out that, that not only does, is John, who she's birthing, going to make that proclamation, but she's already publicly made it. And what's unique is John makes the proclamation that they, those that are going to believe and need to believe ought to repent. There needs to be a change. And she understands that the Savior coming, it affirms the fact that that change is in her belly, Mary's belly. And that's important for us to understand because when we are actually believing in the promise of God, it's hard to believe that God is at work when we, therefore, when we haven't seen it, and therefore it's hard to declare it. It's hard for you to speak on something that you ain't experienced. It was Sister Christmas one time, and she said, she said I'm not going to tell you my opinion. I'm going to tell you what I know. And, beloved, I want to challenge all of us to understand that through this Advent season, make it a priority to know God. Your traditions are important. Uh, the time you spend with family is extremely vital. You're making sure that you get the, the food right. Now, that, that's sure enough important, too. However, when you think about who is coming, it is important to declare it at the dinner table. It's important to declare it before the kids unpack gifts. It's important to declare it when you make sure that every person that is entering your house is understanding what this season is about, what the change in our lives are about. That is what the promise is. See, politicians promise us a whole lot, and we vote on those promises. We, we say, uh, I'm going to strike the ballot one way or another, hoping that they are, will answer their promise, hoping that they would achieve what they set forth. But this is not a politician coming before them, hoping that things would happen. It's a guarantee that when Jesus comes, it's a fulfillment of the signs in which was promised in Genesis chapter 3. And therefore, how should we publicly do this in our love for one another? Let's declare it. In the way in which we come around and wonder at creation, let's declare it. In the way that we actually see and feel and sense his goodness, let's make sure that we declare it. When we are at the doctor and the, and the report comes out, whether it's good or bad, make sure you testify and declare it. And when you understand that God is a God who is going to do according to his will and his wonder for his glory, make sure you declare it. And when you know you are going through hard circumstances and the answer has not been yes, you still declare that God is true and I believe in his promises. Therefore, your, de your declaration is not abiding upon your own strength. It's not abiding upon what you can give. It's not how much money you have in order to put presents around a tree. It's not how much you can accumulate. So much of that can be about you. But what about God doing the work in your heart? 
What about God doing the work in your life? What about God doing the work in the broken areas of your life? Is that God that we ought to abide in? And that God that we ought to depend on? And in Psalm 21, 1 through 2, that reminds me that as the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? The psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And might I add, he made all of you. Therefore, in this Advent season, please don't let the pleasures of over, overindulging in alcohol get you. Don't let the relationship that you're pursuing cause you to stumble and to fall into your lust. Don't let the pleasure overwhelm you. But be overwhelmed by the fact that God, just like he rescued those miners out of the deep, dark cave, has rescued you out of the deep, dark cave of death and destruction so that you may have a relationship with him. His transcendence is not above how imminent he is to you. God, we thank you and we love you because you're one who reminds us that you're always with us. We've sung about it and we're singing Emmanuel. And we understand, Lord, that you will always be with us for the rest of our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Put your hands together for Jesus. He is strong and mighty. He is good. When you leave this place, remember, you leave this place believing in his promises, being able to discern and declare the promises that have been made to the, those that have been redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ. So may... The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you now and forever for the rest of your lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. I mean, amen. <laughs>